Hey everybody, welcome to a new episode of the podcast where we ask the question, hey, remember the odds? I'm Courtney. And I am Thomas. And we talk about everything from short, fringy bob haircuts to dusters. Dusters. I remember dusters. Yeah, I had a duster. Oh my god. You know what happened in the ads? Speaking of, because hmm. we're right in the middle of a new console generation. Mm-hmm. The aughts brought us the PlayStation 2 era and mm-hmm. then the PlayStation 3 era. And I remember that transition. That was huge. And it was so clunky. Weren't they like exploding? Well, yeah, there was always problems. But I mean, like, in terms of graphics, I don't think we've had that True. kind of like graphics are significantly better now than they were back then. But the jump from PlayStation Two and Xbox to the 360 and PS3, True. that jump in graphics was so like revolutionary that like True. when we I remember when we went from PlayStation Three to PlayStation Four, it wasn't like that big of a change in graphics, but there was this also cool thing. Where in the 2010s, we started to stop caring so much about graphics. Mm-hmm. Like, the biggest game yeah, the- right now is Among Us, and that's just, like, doodles. I know, there's something so cathartic about Among Us. Yeah, like, we cared so much about graphics back then, and now it's, like, the biggest games. Uh, like, what was the other, like, Cuphead was huge, and that's, I love that. That's, I mean, mm-hmm. that's its own kind of unique brand of incredible animation being too you know hand-drawn and then but like it's just nice to see like a great game doesn't have to have amazing graphics cuphead is beautiful cuphead is such a beautiful game it's so stunning um i love the old like flusher cartoons i mean i think that it's like the classic case of every once in a while we like push technology to such an extent or we push something to such a technological extent that the one thing which had originally diminished and become obsolete suddenly becomes something that we want aesthetically again. Yeah. And it we sort of like push back from that technological advance that we created and then we want that old thing like Among Us and Cuphead. Yeah. Or even, what was it, Fall Guys? I mean, that rest of oh, yeah. Fall Guys. That was such a popular game for a week and then it died. I wish it stayed around for a little bit longer because I thought it was so funny, but I it guess is everybody a, moved on to Among Us. You know what it is? It's it's a funny game and it is a lot of fun to play, but I think what's brilliant about Among Us is that no one game is the same because it relies so much on personality. Mm. Like, I'm also the type of guy I play Among Us, I, pl- I use a Discord chat because I like the, like the yelling and the communicating. It's like playing Werewolf or Mafia. Well, that's the thing. I actually thought about the game Werewolf because you and I played it, mm-hmm. and I'm not good at lying. So I I only get by on imposter by not speaking. <laughs> because if I speak, then it's going to be really clear that I'm trying to lie and it's not going well. Your good your default move is is maybe to be like that all the time. No one would suspect you. Yeah, it's just like, just be really, really quiet. I think that's what Joe said his method is. I'm learning about Among Us strategies from Julian. (laughs) I'm like taking mental notes like, oh, I see. Like he follows somebody for a while 
And then he goes kill somebody else. So that way, when he comes back to the friend, they could be like, oh, they were with me the whole time. Exactly. He <laughs> plays a lot with like, like, it, it's weird that Among Us has brought this community of online gamers together. Like mm -hmm. people I'd never heard of. Like I found out who Corpse was. Do you know who Corpse is? I think I've heard that name come up a lot, but I haven't seen like i don't know much about it corpse is a guy i think he did like creepypasta readings but he's also a musician he has this okay. deep very deep kind of beautiful but scary voice like very similar in my mind to the vein of like a younger pete Steele. okay and you would think that a guy like that would be in some type of like gothy metal band okay. but he's a rapper oh okay but i think there is that trend oh. and i like the yeah, earlier this maybe week, that's where I heard about it. Yeah, yeah. Because the thing about like now is it's easier to make your own music than it is to commit to a band. And unfortunately, I think rock as a whole put itself in this trap of being too good to be a rock star. And now it's yeah, like, okay, I think you're totally right. It's like yeah. now it's like all right. Well, the biggest acts aren't rock groups anymore. So it's like, but these guys love playing. Like we like we talked about this all week. Like Post Malone yeah. is now making rock you know records and you know machine gun kelly made a pop punk album right and i think when you listen to post malone too his voice is just meant to be an alternative sound yeah he's got a very yeah. punk voice and it's like and hats off to it i love the experimentation with different genre but i think mm -hmm. unless rock and like these you know hipster rock elitists writing all these critical essays get off their ass and kind of just embrace chains then like rock as a whole is not gonna be like a for like and i'm not trying to say like a rock is the best no it's not but it's like it's weird because i was that kid too in high school that like stupid metal elitist and it's like look at all the no, things i, I missed out on Right. I felt that way about being like anti-pop. Like when we yeah. were in high school, we had so much good pop music and I was so like, ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Pussycat Dolls wrote a song called Don't Ya. That's so terrible. But I'm like, no, that song is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So it's like in order for rock to get to back to its like formation on the, you know, on the in the spotlight. You have to get right. rid of this elitist mentality about like being in the mainstream. It's like, listen, you just got to make music you like and be charismatic. Right. I think the rock community forgot that part of rock was being controversial and innovative. Yeah, like, that, that's David exactly Boeing, it. Yeah, like David Bowie, like wearing makeup on stage and having nail polish was like such a huge controversy at the time. And I think that somehow along the line, like as we've gotten older they haven't figured out how to be innovative in this new time and they've sort of like restrained themselves from that cre like from that creative exploration yeah and like so there are just, great yeah. there are great bands out there but i think there there is this attempt to be liked by critics at all times and it's like like it's so ironic cuz like going back to the arts new metal was absolutely hated and shunned by metal elitists and those <laughs> same metal elitists are writing articles about how influential new metal was Mm -hmm, it's like mm -hmm. sometimes you're not going to be like, especially if you're doing, you're breaking ground and doing something new, you're mm -hmm. not going to get necessarily the appreciation from old heads until like way later on. I think that's why like I fell back in love with Paramore when they came out with um, After the Laughter, because instead of trying to like stay stuck in the like emo scene lane, they were like, okay, like our fan base is old enough to realize that like we all love 80s music. 
So wow. let's make an 80s inspired album. Like, let's make it Talking Heads and, the Bl- and Blondie. And it's like, well, I mean, they started in the 70s, but you yeah. know what I mean? Like, they brought it back to, like, the roots and it was refreshing and it was something everyone could listen to. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think of all the rock genres, metal, I think, is kind of the worst at doing this. They're, like, the most sure. stubborn and stuck in their ways. Like, punk, like, that's the thing. Like, Machine Gun Kelly can make a punk pop punk album and at first like you know hardcore and punk elitist will kind of turn their nose but it'll get a good crowd and people will turn to it metal i think is like unfortunately been for a long time stuck in this old school head mentality and i think the only metal act i could think of that really goes out of their way to be a rock star bring like this spectacle is ghost and like Mm -hmm. they do fairly well but they'll never break true mainstream success because of their satanic imagery sure, actually i don't sure. even want to necessarily say that's true because like alice cooper did it but like but I don't when know. was the last time that like alice cooper on his own record hit mainstream that's fair that is true yeah i mean now he kind of like i mean tom he did a song he did a cover of one of his songs with 18s when we were kids that's right so, that's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, he's just having a good time. Yeah. Also, mm-hmm. I'd like to announce, since we're here, we're yes. now using Discord as a way mm-hmm. to communicate with one another instead of Zoom because Zoom is big and clunky. Yeah, it's so uncomfortable. And Discord is just a little more convenient. I love it. And we have a Remember the Aughts Discord server. And I don't know if I'm ready to make it public because, but at the same time, who cares? If you want to join, maybe one day we'll play some games, make it a general place to hang out if you're a fan. It could be like a fun Patreon option. Ooh, that could be fun. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it goes. I still got to work on it. We still, we had issues with the communication in there, but it'll, it'll work. Yeah. We've got some options now. It's exciting. Exactly. But okay. we been talking around it and i might have talked a little i talked a little bit about vampires and you know what also maybe at the end of all of this yeah we should go over the music yes it's just it's been so much and because it's so many movies i think it's good that like we're focusing on the ridiculousness of the movies and then at the end we'll we'll talk about the music because we've been talking around a lot of bands and a lot of influences for the music but We'll get to it at the end. But. I kind of hate that I love that Iron and Wine song now. I think that's so funny. You have such a complicated relationship with Flightless I, Bird. I love that song, but I kind of hate that I love it because it's it's one of those memories that I didn't remember. But then I heard the song. I'm like, oh, this is a beautiful song. And then I, and the more I listen to it, I'm like, oh, I've heard this before. And then I'm like, oh, it's like, fuck me. I know where I've heard this. I know. I know. I I feel that way about the song too. Like I I knew Iron and Wine from the Garden State soundtrack. They do a cover of Such Great Heights by Postal Service. And I knew this song and I was like, "Oh, it's such a beautiful song." And then just so quickly everyone thought it was a beautiful song. Yeah. Like that sometimes happens with New York I Love You But You're Bringing Me Down by LCD Sound System. I love that song. But now I know everybody loves that song, and I hear it frequently enough. So, yeah, I'm sorry that you had a weird sensory memory from it's it. It's okay. Here is to 
owning and re you know rewriting memories that's what that's everything um that's that's been this year despite the covid i think it's been a good year for that i mean what else are we gonna do this year start a podcast constant anxiety and covid (laughs) yeah 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 before we start i will just grab a seltzer i'm leaving this in my my seltzer adventure what kind of seltzer did you get uh Lacroix. Oh, I'm a big Lacroix boy. No, Tom, no. Why? What's wrong with Lacroix? I'd, I hate Lacroix. Lacroix, listen. I was a bubbly fan, but bubbly's expensive. And then I got on the Lacroix train, and I'm like, this is on average a dollar cheaper. Wait, bubbly is more expensive than Lacroix? Yes. That's crazy. I've gotten into Perrier. I like the Perrier seltzers. Perrier is fine. Um. Yeah. The best seltzer I've ever had, I would buy at the beer distributor. Oh, it's uh, Andorondack. I oh, think really? They make that seltzer is incredible. Okay. But, but like, again, LaCroix is on average one of the cheaper options that still tastes good and isn't like shop and stop store brand seltzer water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've just been I a like... LaCroix boy. Oh my God. I can't believe you like LaCroix now. That's so funny. I just, I can't get into LaCroix. It, it, no matter what a flavor I try, I don't like the way it tastes. It's like the seltzer washed over the fruit. Like, instead of cleaning a fruit with water, they cleaned it with seltzer. And then that was the flavor of the LaCroix. <laughs> and I don't mind it. Hold on. I'm going to get, look, I'm getting my LaCroix, Courtney. Okay. Okay. I'm getting my LaCroix. I can't hear you, but I'm going to keep shouting. Okay. <laughs> I have a Starbucks Frappuccino. Getting LaCroix. I have acquired the LaCroix. It's specifically Raz Cranberry. I just want to know that we haven't been sponsored by any beverage at all, but if any seltzers are interested, welcome. We're a seltzer-friendly podcast. Yeah, the only one I talked bad about was Shop and Stop, but imagine they reached... Sponsored by Shop and Stop. Wait, if you, you want Stop and Shop. What did I say? Shop and Stop. What did I say? You said Shop and Stop. Yeah, it's Shop and Stop. No, it's Stop and Shop. Oh fuck. Keep That's right. It's shop, Stop and Shop. It's a stop. great Stop and Shop controversy of 2020. Stop and Shop. <laughs> oh, I get it. Because you're supposed to stop and go. Oh, maybe I'll shop. I guess so. My brain is broken. I'm sorry. No, no, you're fine. <laughs> I felt so bad for you earlier today when you dropped off chili to me and my mom because you were going in a one way lane in the opposite direction. And I was I know. like, I can't I know. tell him because it is already too overwhelming. <laughs> you know what it is? Like, that, that was a one way road and I didn't realize that. But by the time I already committed to going the wrong way on a one way, I was already near the entrance and there was no cars yeah. coming. And there was still yeah, a guy totally. who ran in front of my car and told me to go back. And I was like, really? I'm like, I'm right there. And he goes, go back. And I'm like, all right. Oh my God, so really? I, I'm so sorry. Don't be sorry. I Technically, he was in the right. But at the same time, like I was just there. Like I made a mistake. Let me Let me get out of the parking lot. So he was expecting me to make a three-point turn. I just was reckless and went full backwards the whole way. <laughs> I just drove backwards, then pulled into a spot and turned around to make that weird like hook turn at the end there. 
You're lucky that you didn't like run into. Did you get into any um, like speed bumps? No. Okay. Well, there, okay. Good. I was. I was. I was careful. Okay. Cool. I'm a. I'm a good <laughs> driver. I drive a very good See, despite going down the one way. If you were going, we have a ton of people go down the one way on the other side of my mom's apartment, and like that one, you never get stopped. They just go as they please. They get it. Yeah. I like it. They get it. We've got our seltzer. I've got my Starbucks Frappuccino. We are properly hydrated. We're ready to talk about this fucking silliness. You better hold on tight, spider monkey. I don't really like the rain. Doesn't he own a shirt? This movie. I know it's not as bad as New Moon. But it's definitely the silliest of all of the movies. Oh, it's the most unnecessary of them all? Yeah. Like, New Moon is the most boring and egregiously dumb. Drawn out. Mm-hmm. But at least it establishes things that are supposed to happen in Eclipse. Twilight Breaking right. Dawn Part 1. That's the topic of today's episode. Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 1. You ready? Telling me fall dead. Never. I, Edward Cullen, take you, Bella Swan. For better or for worse. To love. To cherish. As long as we both shall live. This is how I'll remember you. Pink cheeks. Heartbeat. I think I'd be used to telling you goodbye by now. This movie is... I feel like in the... like it Because it was one book. It wasn't two, right? Right. After the, Harry, after the final Harry Potter movie got split into two movies, every single series after that was like, let's do that. Yeah. So, let me see. The log, and then you the... get a case like... Allegiant, where they decided to split it into two movies, and then they never made enough money to finish the second movie. Ah, that's yeah. right. By that mm-hmm. point, we no longer cared about teenage preteen drama. Yeah, totally. So, I am on the IMDb page for Twilight Saga: Breaking Dawn Part One. Our Christmas and, series. And the Christmas series, which is suiting because the last episode, which will be Breaking Down Part 2, they do celebrate Christmas. That's true, they do. They celebrate Christmas, y'all. This was all part of the plan. That's right. It comes full circle. Yes, it does. According to IMDb, this is the story. Quilt. I I already fucked up. I have no idea what this word is. The quilt. Oh, the tribe. Is that what they're called? Man. Oh, the Just werewolf skip over tribe, it. right? Yeah, yeah. Just skip over it. Okay. So, the tribe. The werewolf tribe. The werewolf tribe close in on expecting parents Edward and Bella whose unborn child poses a threat to the wolf pack and the town's people of Fork. See, what's interesting is that technically that's the plot of the movie. But right. again, this 
plot isn't introduced till the last third. I'd give it more. It's more third than it is fourth. But yeah, right, this, it's this, the final act for sure. It, yeah, this this plot is not. And even then, I feel like this plot was potentially hyper exaggerated because somebody in the producer room said, "All right, so we're breaking the book into two parts. The first part doesn't have any plot." So we have to make some kind of conflict. And this is the conflict. It's not a bad conflict, but at the same right. time, this movie is still um, tremendously silly. Like I maybe the silliest down, of them all. It's, it's totally the silliest. I think if we break down what happened behind the scenes with making the sequels to the books and mm. writing... The sequels, maybe we can find some clarity onto why this book is so silly and also, like, why the movie series is so silly in general. So, I found out through some extensive Twilight fan wiki research okay. yes, that Stephanie Meyer wrote the book Twilight and then she wrote a an unpublished manuscript for a sequel. And the sequel has all the R-rated stuff in it it's got all that 50 shades of gray nasty in it so that's the one that does have her getting pregnant the baby like ripping out her insides it's got all of the themes in it so everything that happens in breaking dawn is essentially in the unpublished manuscript for the original sequel of twilight and i think nobody has it i think it's just like like, nobody has any written copies of it other than Stephanie Meyer's sister. Like, she gave it to her. And, I mean, granted, like, she essentially gave her, like, you know, stock in Microsoft <laughs> by handing her this unpublished manuscript. And I think she had planned on releasing certain portions of it, but it never happened. Yeah. So then what happens is she gets the book deal where she's allowed to add three more books to the series. So she takes components of the unpublished manuscript and extrapolates it into three more books. Originally, Victoria is the one who sets off the Volturi that they have an immortal child, not Irina. So it makes more sense as like Victoria to be a villain in that unpublished manuscript than in this series of movies. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And mm-hmm. then... Um... I think that's why all of these movies and the books feel so stretched for plot because I don't think she ever had any intention to make so many. But, you know, hustlers got to hustle. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. I love hearing these stories about unpublished or, like, unworked on sequels. Like, I remember even Star Wars had, like, George Lucas never expected the first Star Wars to be a smash hit. Right. So he originally wrote a treatment for a sequel that was a lot more bare bones, low budget, and it would be Luke and Leia lost on a planet where they would have to escape the, that planet. I think something like that. Oh, and it's interesting because okay. I think the manuscripts or something like that is out there. Like there's even drawings and designs. But obviously that all gets thrown out the window when Star Wars became like a smash fucking hit. Right. That's and interesting then, though because I'd love to see that like isolated incident. Yeah, that's what it was. He wrote an isolated incident so that it could be cheap to make, but still Mm -hmm. be like a sequel. Yeah, I like that idea. 
and um what other movie i think the halloween franchise is nothing but on like treatments and sequels that never get made and then weird weird producer decisions to do really weird things sure sure but i just i thought that was an interesting tidbit as we move forward into discussing like how badly the plot is stretched in this movie yeah um also because i think what's it's interesting that you say that about the uh, manuscripts because Mm -hmm. out of all the twilight movies and i would say maybe even books there is at no point an r rating situation where i'm like oh this could have been r rated until this movie right exactly and it is weird and it is gross and it is uncomfortable like they barely skim the line of r but the context of what we're seeing is really weird and out of place. And I'm like, what is like, why did she do this? But it makes sense that this was initially her vision right. for the second book. It's <laughs> just a jump. I know. It's and I love, jump. I love the idea of like the unpublished manuscript is the one with all like the dirty, like horror stuff in it. Like all the like body like gore and sex like i i like the idea of like okay twilight is like the innocence of it and then shit gets real in the sequel oh my god Um, this movie itself half this movie is a body horror movie right (laughs) watching bella slowly decay was gross it was it was was really uncomfortable it's so uncomfortable. And there was something very upsetting about watching her drink the blood. I tried so hard to be like corn syrup, corn syrup, corn syrup, and I still <laughs> couldn't handle it. And I think almost like putting it in the styrofoam, like deli cup. iced coffee cup <laughs> made it worse. It made it worse. Yeah. And that I, that made me wonder, who went to the deli? I know, right? <laughs> I, he just pulls that styrofoam cup out of nowhere. And there was already ice in it, meaning somebody was drinking iced coffee. Right. Which vampire was going to the deli? Or maybe it was, it was Jacob. We don't know. I bet it was Alice. Alice seems like the type that would just be like, no, I'm just going to order an iced coffee because I just I just want to know what these humans are drinking. Yeah. Well, that's another thing about these vampires. They can technically eat human food and be fine. Right. Like, not like in um, the funniest example is what we do in the shadows. <laughs> Oh my god, Where what they a gem. Sh- they straight up projectile vomit when they eat human food. This is an even worse idea than when we tried to invade Vienna. Certainly going to make you very ill. I'm having pizza pie. Oh, I, no, no, no. Oh, oh. 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 Oof. <laughs> mm. The garlic burnt a little, but... Ah! The Baron has eaten some human food and now his body is being propelled around by his own vomit. (laughs) I also want to add that um, the final book, Breaking Dawn, because we were talking about this in our last episode for Eclipse, like, was it ever really unclear about Jacob and Edward? Like, who would Bella pick? Um... The book for Breaking Dawn came out in 2010, which is the same year as Eclipse. So while this is all happening on screen and they're all like, oh my god, she has feelings for me and she kissed me. Oh my god, she doesn't know what she wants. It's actually at the same time that it's clearly being established that it's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And then something else I thought about 
mm-hmm. when watching this movie because like I said, I actually had more fun watching the series than I expected to, and I love the silly vampire lore shit. It's been but fun. The, but the weird thing about this franchise is that like I guess when you like when people saw these movies in theaters, they had like a year or two year gap between movies to kind of like let the first like they let the previous one settle in, you You'd know, go that. through the year, you know, really give it a give it a year before they see the next one. And it's like to them when they start the movie, it's like, oh, I'm catching up with where these guys left off. But watching these movies back to back, I realized something. What? All the entire franchise takes place in less than a year. Wait, what? They like they meet when she's seventeen, right? Right. Then they get married when she's eighteen, which was only a few months away. And then like this all like this at can't be more than a like at least it can't be more than two years. Like everything that happens happens fairly quickly. Oh my god, you're right. Like this okay. doesn't happen. Like this she doesn't like breaking like realistically, if you wanted to be a mature oh, adult no, about it. it it really is like a year, maybe a year and a half. She can't even legally drink. Oh like, no! That's, like that. Think about it. Like we, 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 we might not notice it because the actors actually age in real time. Like right, Bella and Edward do look significantly older by Breaking Dawn than they do in the first Twilight. Right. But realistically, like this doesn't take. This happens very quickly. Okay, so I guess I thought that they shot the movie so quickly to just, like, keep the fans going and keep the money going, which, honestly, bravo to them, because they did it. They they did it. They got the money. But also because it is supposed to happen so quickly in the books that maybe they're just like, all right, we gotta, you know, we can't let them age. We have to be consistent with what's happening in the book. We have to go right into the next one. Yeah, but that's what weirds me out is, like, the concept that Bella is only 18. Right. And she met Edward when she was 17. Well, I think she turned 17 in New Moon. Or does she turn 18 in New Moon? I think she turns 18 in... I don't remember. I thought she was turning 17. It doesn't It doesn't matter. We're trying to formulate, like, a foundation that doesn't exist because the floor is lava. Yeah, well, <laughs> the foundation of these Twilight books is just pure lava. Well, you know what it is? Because like when I was watching Breaking Dawn Part 2, I was watching them be parents. Sorry, spoiler alert, they have a baby. But Yeah, um, in case you didn't know. Um, I'm watching it and they their mannerisms, their their mm-hmm. costumes, the way they look is that of like late twenty year olds, like people our age. Right. And then I had this moment of realization. I'm like, wait a minute. They're not in their 20s. Like, these characters are tech. Like, well, Edward's like fucking how old? 500? I don't know. But but Bella is Edward's still like only a year out from the first movie, tech- technically, technically right. speaking. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh no. <laughs> oh no. I was also thinking about how I think the graduation must have happened at the end of Eclipse which is just so precious because I love watching Anna Kendrick go on the stage and like give her graduation speech and she's like well here's what it's gonna happen in the future who the hell knows and she says it just like so self-proud and I'm like yeah you keep living your life Jessica she's like in an entirely different movie I know god bless her for it yeah 
God bless her for it. I'm still caught up on the fact that, like, this all happens at most in two years. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm not ready to have a kid or do any of this. And I'm 29. I am almost 30. Right. But it continues (laughs) Stephanie Meyer's idea of, like, ageism and fear of death in that, like, eternal youth and young love, like, is young love is forever. It's not. Yeah. All teenagers should know right now, that's not the case at all. You should not you know? have a demon baby in your eight when you're 18 years old. I have a lot Demon. of problems with how they approach, like, pregnancy yeah, at they, all in these It was movies. very weird. Yeah. Uh, you shouldn't have your demon baby until you're at least 26. Right. Have have a beer beforehand. Like, just, you should. She never tries beer. She never even gets a a chance to try, like, hard cider. No. You should be able to legally rent a car in every state before you have a demon baby. Right? Try some spiked seltzer. You know? Even, like, have the experience of, like, you know, going to a club and hoping that they don't notice that you're under 21. But, I mean, I guess that's the point. Edward says throughout the series that he, like, wants her to experience things in life first before you know, turning her into the undead, but I I guess, like, so them having her have to turn in death just sort of completely eradicates the question of, like, oh, well, we have to kill her to turn her into a vampire. Yeah. Yeah. We've been talking (laughs) a lot about this weird movie. I'm going to start with a quick breakdown of things that happened. Sure. Give us like, give us like the actual, give us an actual breakdown, not what they say in uh, IMDb. Well, I knew this movie was going to be hysterical when the opening shot of the movie is of Jacob's house. He opens the door in a fury. (laughs) He rips off his shirt, runs outside and turns into a wolf and howls. Yes, he does. And then, and then you see on the ground is an invitation to the wedding. Sure. That scene was not going to play out any other way. They couldn't resist themselves. It was so fucking funny. I'm like, this is the way you're going to open your movie? Hell yeah, they are. (laughs) Yes. This is insanity. It is funny. Like, somebody had to be in on the joke. Like, he literally just rips his shirt off and just runs away angrily. So, the director of this movie is Bill Bill Condon. Yeah. And they got Bill Condon because they wanted somebody who had academy cred, like academy credibility. And he directed Chicago, he directed Dreamgirls, which are two, like, you know, very lavish musicals. So I guess they wanted, I guess they agreed to have him be the director because he's really good at sort of capturing that sort of magnitude. But it's just so silly. And he has to be on he has to be in on the joke a little bit. I guess so. He also did the 1995 movie Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh. Oh my gosh, really? Yep. I don't know which numbered sequel Farewell to the Flesh is, but I do love Candyman. I think it is a brilliant movie that has an interesting look on white liberalism Okay. that people don't necessarily talk about, but that's a more interesting movie. We're talking about Breaking Dawn Part 1. Right, and Chicago's also great. Go watch Chicago if you've never seen it. 
But he also did. Um, did you know he also did the um, Jonas Brothers live movie? See, that's 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 probably why they're probably like, well, he got he has his Academy Award movies, but he's also got Jonas Brothers. Yeah. Did he also he also did Beauty and the Beast, the live action one? Oh yeah, yeah, he did. I didn't like that one too much. No, I did. I don't. I'm not. I, I know it's blasphemy for me to say this, but I'm not really a fan of these live action remakes. I didn't like this one. I didn't like the song that they added. I'm just going to say this in this episode now because it just needs to be clear. There is a song that Dan Stevens sings that is like the song that they added for the live action one. And I couldn't put my finger on why I hated that song so much. And then in blank check they make fun of it all this all the time as the song that the beast sings where he's like i am the beast i am the beast and that's the entire song that's the song that's the song it's basically just a song about him being the beast i love dan stevens i think he's great i love him in everything else that i've seen him in but i had to turn it off at that point that is uncomfortable so I don't know, I don't know what is worse, Beauty and the Beast because I couldn't finish it, or this movie because I did finish Breaking Dawn 1. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't see that. I mean, I was entertained the whole way through, but I was more so baffled and confused. And ta- I ta- like these last two movies, I couldn't help myself. I had to text you. Oh, no, no. Particularly yeah. when they get to Brazil in this movie. Yeah. Back to Brazil. Yeah, back to Brazil. Although, before we get to Brazil, mm-hmm. the wedding. Wedding. Let's um, talk about the wedding. I am a sucker for weddings. I, I love, love weddings. I do love the way it looked. Like, I love a wedding that is so, like, lavishly floral. Yeah. I, Just, like, nature I, everywhere. I knew I fell in love with the idea of weddings when I was a wee bit lad, a young mm-hmm. boy, and I watched American Wedding. Because I, you know, dumb, dumb teenage boy loved these comedies. And there was something about the way they portrayed this wedding. Like, this dorky, dumb, stupid kid finds the love of his life. And then everything just comes together in this big wedding scene. And, like, part of me got it. Like, I just knew. I was like, I fucking love this. I love weddings. I love this. I love the idea of love. Which Mm. might be my own unhealthy (laughs) you know, perspective on things, but still, I love it. That's not unhealthy. And that's There's fair. nothing wrong with loving love. I love love, and I love it, so I'm always a sucker for this, and then Charlie's in, you know, this is prime Charlie. Oh, hell yeah. This is the, this, Charlie is the foundation of the only bit of sanity that exists in this fucking franchise. Our guy is here. And he, he brings it. He brings on full dad potential totally and the poor guy like from his perspective this girl is in a relationship where they break up she's screaming in her bed and then she keeps disappearing for days at a time and then she comes back with the guy and jacob's all like so my god i kissed your daughter and he's all like i don't know what to do with this information but okay it's not edward and then she comes back and she's like, look at this fugly ring that I have. I am engaged. And he's just got to be like, okay with it. 
mind you, this all happens within a year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so his whole world gets rocked <laughs> within a year. Best dad. He's not. He's not trying to, you know, keep her imprisoned in his home. He is just trying to be supportive, and knows that he's better off just like you know, trying to be her cheerleader rather than her prison guard. So I I appreciate it. There's no, like, Little Mermaid, but Daddy, I love him interaction. It's just like, he's like, okay, well, I'm worried about you and I want to make sure you're okay. It's, it's yeah. sweet. It was a very sweet and sincere moment. And I was like, Charlie's bringing it. He's bringing it yeah. and I'm appreciating it. And then the wedding happens and they they play this the beautiful Iron and Wine song. Yeah, they play the same song. From and my heart the first was con- movie. My heart was conflicted because I'm like, this is beautiful mm-hmm. and I'm loving this, but something felt haunting and wrong. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of funny because Bella has the same thing. Just before mm-hmm. the wedding, she has a nightmare. She and has I that insane that, dream. That insane fever dream, mm-hmm. which was kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. Like I did like it. But it, yeah. it's again, unfortunately, it's it's foreshadowing to something that doesn't happen. And poor Alice, she's just so stoked about like making this happen, and obviously something's gonna go wrong. And also, I'm a little confused about the Cullens having cousins. How are they cousins? Is it a vampire cousin thing, or was it at birth and then they sort of turn? Like I don't. I don't really don't know how they're cousins. Really, they don't go into the detail of how they're actually related. I know it hurts. It um also I mean this kind of jumps forward to the next movie, but like Carlisle just kind of knows everybody. Right. <laughs> Carlisle just suddenly knows everyone. Like, I don't know how else to put it, but like literally he just like they have cousins everywhere. Right. And I don't exactly know what they define, but yeah, yeah, that's the biggest thing. Are they blood related when they were human and then just happened to all be turned into vampires? Or did he like save them? And then he was like, all right, well, you have your family and I'm just going to call you cousins. I'm going to have my family and these are my family. Right. I don't, I don't know. And even when, you know, all the way back to Twilight real quick, when they're talking about the people that Carlisle turned and how they had to still uphold this creed that they would not eat people, they list several vampires before they say, oh, and he turned his wife, Esme. And then I'm like, wait, hold on a second. Did he also marry a human for a while? Because he's been a vampire for a long time. So that means he did love a human. And then eventually he turned her when she was super sick, I'm assuming. Yeah, they don't, we don't know. Like, I'm sure, like, the fun thing is, I'm sure there's, like, fan interpretations that are deep in lore, and because Stephanie Meyer couldn't be bothered, she just does the George Lucas thing and says it's all canon. Right, she gave them all enough space to work with within the plot. Yeah, because she didn't fill out the details. Nope. So, but, like, so I'm, like, curious, but at the same time, I'm like, do I really... I'm also kind of afraid, like, if I get into the lore, like, the fan lore of these vampires, it'll be more interesting than what we just watched. Right. Sorry, I had to take a little sip of my Starbucks Frappuccino. So It's all good. 
And the thing too is, and this is what I think kind of goes back to like extrapolating that original sequel, they just try to pin together that um, the one cousin, Irina, played by Maggie Grace, who's been in a few indie movies that I've seen and liked, she just was like, I was with Laurent. And it's like, okay, we'll take your word for it. I've never yeah. seen you up until this point, And you tell me you were in a relationship with that other vampire who I never saw you with, but okay. Just to sort of like, just as a, like a last ditch effort to create a connection between a character they already screwed over and to like lay down the foundation for her being the one to tattletale on them later on. And then, you know, Seth, Leah's younger brother, is the only werewolf who is like, I'm just happy to be here. Yeah. And she's like, ew, it's a dog. And, like, it's just such a strange way to try to build any sense of tension. Yeah. So silly. Oh, this this movie is silly. (laughs) It's so silly. I just, I love the idea of just being like, well, I was with my mate, Laurent. And it's like, oh, you were? I, Hmm. he didn't mention you at all, so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, so silly. And then wedding happens. Jacob begrudgingly. Yeah. yeah, the spe- oh I love the speeches. the speeches. I do love the speeches are I think the characters making fun of the movie they're in. Fair. I'm really surprised Anna Kendrick didn't just say, Bella, I met you six months ago and now we're here. I would have loved that so much. That would have been amazing. She does uh, her her last final moment in the Twilight series is her being like maybe Bella's pregnant. <laughs> maybe Bella's pregnant. She's definitely pregnant. Yeah. Who else gets married at eight? Because that's when I I think that's when it clicked in that she's she's like who else gets married at eighteen? I'm like oh my god, Bella's only eighteen. Right, right. So once again, Stephanie Meyer is like, you know supporting the sanctity of marriage because Edward's a good boy and he wants to get married, but also like, oh, Bella's so cool. She doesn't want to get married. But also, if they do want to get married, let's chastise them for any decision that they make about having a baby. Yeah. Classic. Oh. But yeah, Jessica's speech during the wedding is so great. She's just like, she's not even the president of the senior class. Like, it's so good. (laughs) She's like, I am all these things, and I am not the main focus of this movie. And then she's like, just kidding, just kidding. It's fine, I it's love you, Bella. Good. Yeah, it's so great. And then, So bizarre. I also really love uh, Emmett's speech, because he's such a himbo. Yep. <laughs> Hope you got enough sleep for the first 18 years of your life. <laughs> oh so my good. god. And then Charlie gives his dad's speech. The best speech. And then the Cullens are sitting there and they're like, ha 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 ha. We could kill him if we really wanted to, but okay, we'll let him think he could take Edward on. Okay, we're vampires. We're vampires. We don't even actually have to leave our seat for him to die. Right, exactly. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, But then Jacob shows up. There's like construction. Not, I don't know if it's construction or something. There's something going on in the background. So if it gets picked up at all, I'm sorry. Don't be. I actually barely hear it. Okay. So Jacob. Jacob shows up begrudgingly. He's all pissed off, but he's there. He does he have a shirt about, on. He does have a shirt on. He does his dance yes. with Bella. He mm-hmm. goes, I wanted to give you this. I wanted to see you before you're not human. 
And then she's like, oh, well, um, I, um, I've decided not to be vampire until after the sexy time. I want to get it first. And then, which is fair, like, of all human experiences, that's the one I feel like is most intimately human. Like, mm-hmm. when you're a vampire, you live forever. So the vulnerability of life and death means nothing to you. Right. But when you're human, like the vulnerability of being intimate with someone like that, I imagine is significant. So I, I don't take points off for that. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a bad concept at all. I also give but- kudos to Edward in that scene because he brings Bella over to Jacob and is like, look, I brought you, I brought you Jacob. Like I figured I'd give you guys a couple of minutes alone. Yeah. So good job, Edward. But then Jacob gets all pissy. Because one right. of the things that's established, the, one of the lores of this movie is that a human having sex with a vampire is the most egregious, awful thing, and it will destroy you. And Jacob's throwing a hissy fit. He goes, you're gonna kill her! You're gonna kill her! And it sets up this idea that this is this awful, forbidden, nasty thing. It's bad, it's when, terrible, it's terrifying. When do we get into, like, the sex education of vampires having sex? Because... There's there's a lot of confusion there. Yeah, I'm confused, but we can we can literally just jump into it. They get to they go to they go to Rio cuz again, vampires should never be out in the daylight, so let's go to Rio. Right. Right. This like a very sunny, light-filled happening place. Yeah. Rio de Janeiro. Um mm-hmm. except they go to an island off of in they they spend their time on the island. Right. Cuz Carlisle did... has enough money for an island apparently. Yes. I did text you this. There was a moment of vulnerability from Bella that I completely understood. And that's mm-hmm. the pre-sex talk. Right. The like uncomfortable. Okay. We got to the special room. We both know this is going to happen. Right. We don't know when it's going to happen. <laughs> Cause he, they're so casually trying to talk about things that aren't sex. And it's like, you can tell there's just nothing. It's like, that's not the point. Like he's like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah. And then she's our girl like, Alice just packing a shit ton of lingerie in Bella's yeah. luggage. Yep. And then he goes for a swim and she does she does the like bathroom pre like 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 the pre-sex bathroom pump up moment where it's like, okay, I gotta do this. I gotta be ready. How do I do this? I don't know what I'm doing. Oh my god, the anxiety setting in. Oh my god, this is gonna go awful. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. I, I don't know what it is about works. that scene that really bothers me still. I don't know why. I I don't know what it is. I guess it's just sort of like a failed attempt at the authentic experience of it. I don't know. There's something about it, and I, I don't even know what it is. There's something about that scene that I really don't like. I, That's fair. I don't know. Someone could say, like, oh, she's being a social justice warrior about it. I don't know. I just... It's something just feels really off about the whole thing. It feels very forced and pushed and like an attempt to be like, oh, Bella's like making herself all ready and beautiful for sexy time. And it's like, ugh. Yeah. I think it's not, it's a fair case to take it that way. Yeah. Because that is there. I think it's totally fair that you're like, from your perspective, this is a forced, uncomfortable, like jokey scene. Right. For me, I felt a little bit more genuine with it mm. because, like, I think 
where I take from it is that overall anxiety of like pre-sex performance. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, because like it is an incredibly vulnerable thing. And especially like when you have all this anticipation built up, like this is their honeymoon. This is the big date. This is the, you know, or even just more general things like, oh, this is the anniversary. This is the big date night. This is the, this is supposed to be the big deal. You and you're I, like, yeah, go ahead. And I think it might come off more forced and uncomfortable because it it's being told from Bella's perspective. And this is a series and franchise that's already like really bad at portraying gender roles in an inappropriate yes. way. Yes, but I that's think totally what it is. The only because... reason I give mm-hmm. it a pass is because for me, it's like, that's, that's my experience. I'm like, okay, I've definitely brushed my teeth <laughs> and thought way too much into things that don't matter. Right, that's totally fair. Because like you connecting to what she's doing in that scene already breaks gender roles. That's amazing. I think because whenever we see these like preparing for sex scenes from the female, from the like male, female setting that has already been presented to us through like a series of movies throughout decades of cinema. But it's always like for the female, she always needs to prepare her body to make it better and make it more interesting for the male perspective and then whenever they do that like pre-sex scene from the male perspective it's like he has like a macho moment where he's gotta like you know put the aftershave cologne on or he kind of like pep talks his penis or something like that so I, I feel like doing it from Bella's like Edward's not doing anything to prepare himself for Bella no and and you're completely right that's yeah. totally fair I think to that's what it is because Edward they don't show any vulnerability from Edward at all yeah it's just like he's got the situation under control but in reality most of the time if it's a regular couple both of them have no idea what the fuck they're doing right or somebody didn't have time to shave their legs yeah this movie doesn't give us the vulnerability of edward because it wants us to think in terms of that traditional you know masculine perspective but mm-hmm. i i i know i get what you're saying that makes a lot of sense like yeah. we don't see edward's vulnerability we don't see that awkward moment where edward's like we just see him being kind of a bully and being mean and like because then after this they do have the sex right and they have the seemed, sex they have the sex and she wakes up she's super happy like this pissed me off because she's super happy she's very you know she's in love she's like oh my god we did it it was amazing like a very vulnerable thing is post-sex like Mm -hmm. people in the will talk very much about um what is it called like the post-sex comforting like i forgot what it's called i forgot what it's called i'm so i'm like the worst no no it's Um, okay but there is like but, a moment where you should be like tender with each other and like check in on each other, make sure yeah. you're okay or that, you know, like it's it's very crucial to the experience to have those like snuggly tender moments. And it's not just because like, oh, it's rude to just like walk out of the bed, but it's like the endorphins and the experience still carries on after the act. It's not over as soon uh. as... Yeah. The job is done. Oh, I completely. I yeah. It's called aftercare. Right. Okay. Aftercare is the term, and I think it's mostly associated with kink. But at the same time, it's like 
I believe it's generalized to any vulnerable experience you have. Mm -hmm. So it's the next day. She's feeling vulnerable, but she feels happy. She feels good. She's like, this was amazing. I love you. And he's like storming. And he goes, I hurt you. How dare I hurt you? And it's like, I, some people would took, look at it and be like, Edward's just being concerned because he hurt her. And I'm like, no, 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 no. They're two consenting adults. She's still alive. <laughs> She's happy as hell. Right. So his like anxiety and like panic and like, oh, we're never going to do this again until you're a vampire is really traumatizing and i'm like what <laughs> like right <laughs> that, like imagine that like imagine especially because it was her first time like imagine after you you know it's like it's a very vulnerable thing but then imagine after like your first experience with a person and you're vulnerable and you're like i hope my vulnerability is enough to make this person happy and the next thing they do is have a freak out panic attack <laughs> I have a lot of problems with this scene, uh, not even including, like, um, Edward having an issue with, like, hurting her. Um, but but we will get to that. I will continue that. My, my yeah. major problem with this, like, continuing with what you were saying, is that he should have been in bed with her. He should have, you know, been taking care of her, been treating her, like, snuggling, spooning, whatever. Yeah, especially if he's legitimately concerned about how the effects of having sex with a vampire are. You right. shouldn't get out of bed, get dressed, and be like, we're never doing this again. Right, exactly. You should be holding her and asking her the whole time, how are you okay? Are you comfortable? Uh, what can I do to help you? Would you like me to hold you? Can you want a massage? Just yeah. general things. Yeah. General knowledge. Like, if you're actually worried about what you just did between yeah. two consenting adults, you can simply ask and provide. You don't have to be the... Like, that's the thing. He's acting like the authority. Right. Exactly. And... My other issue is they wrecked a hotel room or they wrecked a room in an island. They wrecked a room on an island and just have no concern for any of the things or any of the people who have to come in and take care of that mess. I just think it's very disrespectful to the people who have to go in and clean that shit up. Yeah, And then the funniest thing is that the moment it's not until the cleaning lady sees what he did to the room that she's like, the devil you're the devil oh my god it's so bad and then also they just like continue to like smooch and she's in her underwear and they're just like walking around and they're like oh i guess this isn't okay no it's not okay there are other people present just wait two fucking seconds you were storming yeah. off earlier and all like no we can't do this again and then suddenly people are there and you're all like oh my god i love you i love you so much honeymoon smooch smooch it's inappropriate it's it's so uncomfortable for the other people it it implies the idea that, like, you don't even respect their presence in the space while they clean up the giant mess that you made in the bedroom. Yeah. So I had an oh. issue with that. But I do think the thing that they're really leaving out is, like, what you were saying is, like, oh, okay, like, he's upset that he hurt her and he bruised her. This was no surprise. This was always going to happen. Yeah. There was never a moment where they were like, well, maybe it won't happen. And then also, if they're so concerned that his passion could, quote, unquote, kill her, or they called it passion, that's what it was, his passion could kill her, then um, she's going to have a wrecked uterus. Yeah. <laughs> like from, <laughs> I feel like they keep avoiding the actual aspects of sex education, which, you know, comes back to those religious ties. 
Um, she, like, she'd be bleeding. She would be bleeding, I, I assume. Yeah, now, that's, I mean, I mean yeah. even the, the lack of education or understanding in sex is what gets him in trouble in the first place. Right, and it's it has nothing to do with, like, oh, if you're a virgin, you bleed your first time. I just mean that she's being pounded by a vampire, and sometimes in, you know, regular human-human intercourse sometimes it can be so rough that there can be blood there would be blood there would definitely be blood yeah we don't know if vampire rules go by like do vampires have cat-like penises we don't know this we right don't. right it's never expressed i don't really understand how they get aroused in the first place because you need blood to rush to your body part i it, it, this was the part that I, I knew was coming that we'd have to tackle eventually. Yeah, just the... The anatomy of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, <sighs> they're all like, oh my god, I'm not gonna touch you again. Oh no, I hurt you. They know, the help know something's wrong. But then she is, like, sexually released and she keeps trying to, like, flaunt her body in front of him by, like, going to bed in, like, sexy lingerie. Yeah. And then they play chess. It also, isn't the book, like, cover of the book just the check pieces? Yeah, it's just the chess board. I don't know what the metaphor for that is. I don't know. I think it just looks good on the cover, and they just went with it. Yeah. Somebody's gonna be like, well, actually, it has everything to do with the relationship with the Volturi, and it's like, shut up. Shut up. We're not talking about them. Yeah. Not in this movie, at least. Not not in this movie. No. Um, And then, you know, vampire sex, not even once. <laughs> not even once. Here we go. Here it comes. Oh. My favorite part of her realizing that she's pregnant is like she didn't even have tacos at the craft service table beforehand. It's just her flat tummy. And all of a sudden she's like, I'm throwing up. I'm holding my tummy the way a pregnant woman would. So that must mean I'm pregnant. Yeah, that must be it. Yeah, I love that. She just like holds her hands over her tummy. Like, there's a big old baby in there, and she's like, this must be pregnancy. This is it. This is 100% the case. I love Edward's face. (laughs) When he finds out that he got a human pregnant. Oh, boy. There's Apparently, and this is something in the lore that they didn't tell us until this happened, vampires have never gotten a human pregnant, Mm -hmm. or at least they thought, and that led... That, again, leads Edward to a... Like, how awful is it? You're a human being. You've been having an amazing weekend with the person you love, despite his, you know, shitty behavior. And now you realize you're pregnant. And you're like, oh my god, I'm pregnant. Right. Your body and your... Everything about you is exposed and vulnerable and now feeding a living thing. Mm -hmm. And the man of your... The man who loves you panics dictates what's going to happen and goes we must get that demon out of you Mm -hmm. so now we are immediately punishing the woman for enjoying sex and misery will fall upon her and her loved ones it's her fault yes even though edward says it's his fault 
he's sure as hell acting like it's her fault. Right, right. I, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with Bella being like, I'm keeping the baby, it's mine. But, you know, it's just, the movie continues to perpetuate the idea that a baby is a problem. So it's like, yeah. yes, it's it's pure and good of you to keep the baby, but also you have destroyed your life by having a baby. Yeah, this movie does something unique in that it it both is a pro-life movie, but sure. somehow simultaneously also condemns the woman for it. Like, it's oh, it totally, totally a pro- it's both. It's I. It's 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 a yeah. paradox. I don't know how you could do both at the same time, but it is both a. Well, yeah, let's be honest. Like most people who are pro life are also pretty anti women. I was gonna say it parallels <laughs> the livelihood of being a mother. You choose to not get rid of this thing for whatever reason, and you're, you know, seen as. And in Bella's case, she's sort of this like Joan of Arc figure of like I'm going to keep the baby. I am a true purveyor in this baby's life, but then also being demonized quite literally for having the baby. Yeah, it is. It's astonishing. And then they they panic. Uh, the Brazilian woman is the magical, mystical, you know, Brazilian woman who knows everything about evilness and vampires and what's going on. And Insert mystical mis- character of color to provide plot. Yeah. Yeah. And that comes back again later. So don't don't worry, folks. If you thought it was bad, it's just going to get worse. Yeah, it's coming back around, don't you worry. Yeah, so then they rush back to Forks. Right. And the, this whole movie now dissolves into a plot where Bella is slowly dying, the werewolves are angry, and the werewolves want to kill the baby. Mm-hmm. And now there's a watch out where Jacob and two other werewolves are helping guard this, you know, the, the Cullen household as they try to figure out how to get this baby out of Bella or try to keep Bella alive while the rest of the werewolves decide they're going to kill the baby. Right. I think that's a fair way to quickly Jacob, sum up everything. Yeah. yeah, Jacob separates himself from the tribe. Um, the post-werewolf phase voiceover is so funny. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> They imagine they also notice they only do it in this movie. They don't do it in the next one. Yeah, no. And like, once again, I just, I love Leah. Leah's great. Jacob, like, has one of two allies. One is a child. The only other a consenting adult in his new makeshift pack is somebody he keeps pushing away and is like, get out of here. We don't want you. And I was like, oh my God, poor Leah. Nobody wants Leah. I like Leah. I like and Leah. I, what I, what, what killed me is like, they could have easily given Jacob some redemption and a love relationship mm-hmm. with a more appropriate partner, someone mm-hmm. who challenges him, someone who pushes against his idea of masculinity and forces him to be... Because that's what Leah could have been. Right. Totally. But she's not. She's not because strong, feminine werewolf woman can't have love. Like, that's essentially what this movie's kind of saying. I know. Because think about it. None of the werewolf, like, she's the only female werewolf. 
and she doesn't have any love. I like just they want quite her to literally say Like as a matter of fact, they literally say, Oh, because you're a werewolf, your boyfriend is with another woman who's not a werewolf. Right. And it's also super sexist because they make it abundantly clear because like they can they can read each other's thoughts. They're when they're in the pack, they can, you know, hear the other person's thoughts. That they just can't stand listening to her thoughts. You're and the woman. Yeah. Your thoughts are I, a pain. We don't like to hear about your thoughts and opinions. And I like her. She's no, like the only too. redeeming werewolf. And it's like, God. She, she deserves so much better. She deserves so much better. Yeah. Like, imagine that partnership where, like, they also defy, because that's the thing, too, like, werewolves imprint on things. And that's a problem that we're going to get to shortly. But yes. she, imp- she imprints on Sam, I think, right? No, Leah never imprints on anybody. She oh, she was, never imprints? So she was with Sam. She was with the leader okay. of the pack. And then they break up and he meets Emily. I think her name is Emily. Emily and, yeah. is the girl from New Moon that he's with. And he imprinted on her. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So Leah's still hurt because it's it, it's nothing she has control over. He imprinted yeah. on another person, and that's his person now. Also, and like I find it very strange that you can only imprint on a girl if you're a man. Just saying, like, what if Jacob imprinted on a boy? Then what would he do? Yeah, and that's another thing that bothers me because the thing about imprinting is they try really hard to not play it as a romantic thing, but it's hard not to make it a romantic thing when they push the romance in it. Right, like, and then they just like it, slightly are like. It's a protector thing. It's a protector thing. It's not creepy. It's not creepy until it gets hot. Then it's not creepy. In my mind, if you wanted to fix the problems of what imprinting means, mm-hmm. you, because here's spoiler alert, we're getting to it. When Bella gives birth to the demon baby, oh Jacob God, imprints on the baby. What? Oh no. I didn't know that happened. Yeah. Oh my so God. if you wanted to fix the problems of how predatory that seems, if you wanted to make imprinting purely a like otherworldly protection guardian sort of thing, mm-hmm. you would then give Jacob the ability to fall in love with Leah mm-hmm. to distinguish that they can break away from this old school traditional set of norms and still practice the tradition. Like he imprints on this baby, he's going to protect this baby. Like I in one aspect I thought it was a cool idea that Times are changing, and in order to protect and grow and be progressive, you must, like, a werewolf imprints on a vampire, and now that now this creates some, like, alliance against the Voltori. But the problem is they play up the, you know, they're, they're, they try to be like, no, it's not what you think. It's not predatory at all. But then they keep showing visions of him with her when she's an adult, which, because of the way vampires Ugh. age, will be, like, two years. Ugh. Uh, it is so bizarre uh, and fuck it's like an easy fix could have been he could have fallen in love with leah established that love and imprinting are not the same thing break down mm -hmm. the gender norm of like you know masculine ownership of a woman and it's like jacob has this romantic sexual relationship with a strong werewolf woman and has still keeps up the tradition by being the guardian and protector of a vampire girl. I think that could have been pretty cool. And I was hoping, I was watching, I'm like, I'm hoping they do it. Because I didn't see Breaking Dawn Part 2 ever. So I'm like, I'm hoping 
that this romance thing does happen for Jacob because that's the only way you're going to stop the idea of Jacob being a weird sexual predator. I know. But they don't. Poor Leah. They don't fix it at all. But you know what, though? I'm glad Leah doesn't end up with Jacob because she deserves better than Jacob. No, that's fair. She does but, deserve better. Yeah. But I'm thinking, like, how like, how you no, do it, you as what, a writer? The option you're providing is still much better. Yeah. Or at least, like, okay, we get to breaking down part two. He meets other vampires. What if he has a werewolf on vampire relationship and not with Bella's baby? I know. It's so... Okay. So when I watched Witcher with Henry Cavill... They, I don't know if they use the word imprint, but there's still that sort of relationship with another being. Like what happens in The Witcher is he saves somebody and then he is granted, like he is owed the same payment that he gave to the person whose life he saved. And then they find out that like that guy's wife is pregnant and they're all like, it's like some sort of like magical tie in a similar way that works for twilight but i still feel like is just less forced and because it's it's not it doesn't have anything to do with like it has to be a female it just happens to be that his wife is pregnant and that is the thing that is tied to him now is payment it could have been anything it could have been a boy it could have been a magical creature i don't know so also mm -hmm. the thing about something like the witcher Mm -hmm. is they commit to the mysticism of it totally when you commit to the mysticism of it, you can throw a lot of it out the window because you're committing to an otherworldly idea where we're playing more in metaphors, we're playing more in story. Mm-hmm. Twilight grounds it way too much in this romanticism where like right. the only other ex- like the only other example of imprinting we see is Sam imprints on his girlfriend. Yeah. And... So now therefore they must be in love. Right, exactly. And what I when I first watched The Witcher and I knew that this was a thing, I was immediately triggered by Breaking Dawn because I knew about the rules of imprinting through Breaking Dawn. But the way that they do it in The Witcher is so much better because this little girl who clearly has like very mystical powers is just told like, find The Witcher, find The Witcher, he'll keep you safe. And they make it very clear that it's more of a protector role than anything else and it becomes a teacher role because as the story continues he's going to teach her how to be a witcher next yeah. too yeah well that because that's also like because that's like think because the witcher is is take is taking from the graphic novel in the book mm-hmm. whereas i think by the time you get the witcher 3 that plot is kind of thought out more and the plot of witcher 3 and i think it does involve that girl and their relationship okay so like it really like it really is established in this like and also it doesn't help I mean it does help it does help a lot that in Witcher especially the video game mm-hmm. you could have relationships like the Witcher he has several romantic relationship options oh, in those true. games that's true that is not involving this girl at all in the TV show he's like very like it's almost like by fate that he keeps running into this very powerful witch and they just like always are going to have this connection. So like like you're saying like that separation of like romantic love and protector love is a little bit more clear in like Witcher the TV show. And they might yeah. also try to make that more clear in the TV show than in the books because it's more modern. It's coming out yeah. now rather than like 20 years ago. Or in yeah. Twilight's so case, it's... 10 years ago. Yeah. So it's like 
I think imprinting is one of those ideas that Stephanie Meyer starts with, but never like, because how many things about vampires and werewolves does she introduce that never get fleshed out? Mm-hmm. The, yeah. The- but the problem, the problem with imprinting is that if you don't flesh out what this means, you are essentially creating a child predator. Right. It's basically the same thing as Steve Carell and Ron Burgundy saying, I love lamp and just claiming the lamp is his now. He loves lamp. Yeah. There's, there's I love no, baby. There's no further explanation at all. No. Other than because he says I can't control it. It's a and wolf. It's like, thing. all right, but we need to establish what that means. You can't just keep saying it's a wolf thing. It's a wolf because thing. we don't know what a wolf thing is. Right. We are not werewolves. So like we don't know. Should we should we talk about the the body horror of the final like half hour of this movie? Oh, yeah, we should. We really should. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) So. Yeah, where do we begin? Um, She's pregnant. She slowly decays. Like, everything about her starts to decay and wither away. And she becomes, like, this foul zombie-looking thing. Yeah, it's crazy. She looks like Gollum a little bit. Yeah, and this guilt sets in because they genuinely think they they have no other option and that she's gonna die. Mm -hmm. And it's just... And then what's even worse is like... Because the idea is the only way she will survive and the only way the baby will survive is if she gives birth and moments before death, they turn her. Right. And I I do appreciate the bond between Rosalie and it makes sense that this would be a chance for Rosalie and Bella to bond because Rosalie always wanted a baby. And also now turning Bella into a vampire is no longer a choice. It is the only option for survival. Yeah. Much like Rosalie was turned against her choice. So um, once again, the only times we're turning into a vampire like hasn't really been a choice for any of the females has been like something to do with like rape or pregnancy. Yeah. Here we are again. So, but I I appreciate that Rosalie is like, I'm going to do what I can to make this happen. I don't want you to turn into a a vampire, but now this is our only chance for your survival. This is exactly why I hated all this vampiric stuff, but I'm here to help you. Yeah. Yeah. So I appreciate that. So, and um, if I'm correct, the book details this scene even worse. Yes. Yeah. She vomits a whole lot of blood and I think like some tissue, some bits. Down he goes. He's up again. Yeah. Yeah. um, Then Edward has to eat away at her. Yes. Um uterus yes that's another thing too the person who wrote this like she's gonna have a baby scene has no clear understanding of how to have a baby yeah like none of this has any medical association whatsoever no No. you know what the weird thing is too she is a mom right 
Right. She's had children. Right. How do you have that lack of understanding when you've had children? But then also, like, when they go into, like, okay, we got to open her up. We got to cut her up. It's like they just stab her belly. Like, the C-section scene in The Walking Dead somehow still feels more medically accurate than this moment. Yeah, and then they, like, it's so gross and uncomfortable. Yeah. Because he starts chewing away at her innards. And then do we... Like, did we have to continue the sound every time he bites her to try to get the venom going in her? Oh. Like, that sound was so unnecessary. The, like, it was. Oh. Is not not needed. Not needed at all in that scene. Not at all. And then, like, Rosalie has a moment where she's like, oh, right. Human blood. I like that. Oh, no. And they get her out of there. Conveniently, the only doctor in the family is out. <laughs> Conveniently, yeah. Atlas can't use her powers to see anything all of a sudden. Even though we know from earlier in the series that Alice has a vision that eventually Bella will be one of them. Yeah, we just forget that that was a vision she had. Right. So, and then, poor Charlie... I love how every time throughout these movies, somebody's like, what about Charlie? What about Charlie? What about him? They forgot about the mom. Oh, my God. They don't have any time to even think about the mom. Well, to be fair, the mom is like this totally out there, hippy-dippy woman that fell in love with a softball, minor league softball player. Right. They could tell her, like, well, Bella had a demon baby and she turned into a vampire. She'd be like, that's cool. That's cool. I'm so excited. My daughter breaking boundaries. Yeah. And I love also when they're deciding the names. The the male name is just like Edward Jacob. It's just like so generic and no thought is put into it. But if it's a Not. girl, Renesme. Oh, Renesme. Oh, so mystical. Renesme. So fantastic. It's like, well, obviously it's going to be a fucking girl. Yeah. They, they didn't think much about it being a boy. Right. And that was another thing, too. It's like instilling these like patriarchal subtexts that we always choose the male over the female by saying like, oh, it's a boy. It's got to be a boy. Him, him, he. And it's like, Edward, you can read its mind. You know, it's not a boy. Yeah. I don't know. This whole thing's a mess. Snaps her back in half. Oh, God. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. They still found Everything a way this. to make it gross and still, like, just miss the R rating. Yeah. 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 Then baby is a barn. Uh, <laughs> Jacob imprints on the baby. And CGI creature is... is born. What's up? CGI creature is born. Oh, God. My God. That was the worst. How awful. Apparently. You know what's interesting is that... There was a brief moment where the baby was just a baby and didn't have a CGI face on it, and it looked fine. Right, right. So they had to, like, figure out, like, different ways to make the baby work. And one of them was that, like, weird CGI thing that they thought about using. Thank God they didn't. But it's in a museum right now. I think it's in the Twilight Museum in Forks, Washington. And apparently, apparently, it's haunted. There are some theories that it's haunted because it'll be in one position when they close the museum at night. And then when they open it back up in the morning, it's in a different position. Oh, God. Yep. And then, you know, everyone's getting all upset 
Jacob imprints on the baby with the CGI face. And he's all like, oh my god, my baby. This is my baby now. I love Lamb. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, but then, so like, what this does is this ends the mini plot of the werewolves because now, now that Jacob is imprinted on baby, the other werewolves cannot kill baby, so they back off. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, then the camera zooms on Nanbella's face and her eyes open and that is moving. My favorite part of that scene is that apparently turning into a vampire means that eyeshadow magically appears over your eyelids. Yeah. I love that. Did they that. know she was coming back? Because they put her in a dress. Right, they cleaned her and up. I didn't, know, I didn't know if they were like preparing her for a funeral or if that was like they knew she was coming back. I don't know. I think it was like out of respect for her body. Let's clean her up. But then they just pull like a snow white thing and like put her in the blue dress and they just lay her out on the table. But it's not really clear what they're doing the moment that her back snaps back into place and her Uh. chest is filled with air. It's never quite clear. Also, the scene with or i guess the scenes the the cgi like the computer graphic things with the venom changing the inside of her body you already told us in eclipse that the inside of vampires is just ice so i was expecting more like icicle looking also they don't breathe right they don't breathe so what if she just like came into being a vampire with like her back still snapped? Like, what if it was like death becomes her oh. rules? Oh no! <laughs> what if it was like just she, she's solid? Death becomes her rules. Her her like the rest of her life as a vampire, which is infinity. She's just got this broken back. Yep. Oh. Yep. God. It's convenient that they fill her lungs with not air. Yeah. So I figured that they were going to, like, turn her body into, like, like you'd see the bloodstream turning into icicles because they made it so literal in Eclipse. But I guess not. It's, like, black and tar looking, which makes yeah. sense. But it just contradicts what they used for the last movie. So I know. Yeah. Well, this movie, this, these franchise, this franchise is filled with contradictions. And that's the end of Breaking Dawn 1. Oh, my God. Breaking <laughs> Dawn 1. What a fucking mess. It's such a mess. And it has so many undertones of, like, sexism exoticism and just like i don't know like being anti-baby and also pro-life at the same time yeah anti which i guess not to be not to get political but it kind of is the stance of most people who are pro-life they're not really pro-life they just want to make sure you don't have the right to your own body right and that's kind of like also that's another thing too is it's really easy to demonize the men who are telling her what to do like it's so easy to be like well they're telling her what to do with her body and that's not okay but the thing that they're telling her is that she shouldn't have the baby and that's not okay they shouldn't tell her not to have the baby so it's still demonizing the process of getting rid of a baby yeah yeah uh, and we didn't even get to touch on the fact that there's like a speed pregnancy happening. Oh, I know, there's so my much, <laughs> and there's nothing at the exact same time. There's so much happening, and there's nothing happening at the exact same time up until like the I'm last just, twenty minutes. 
I am just still bamboozled by the idea that, like, I watched her on that table giving birth to a demon baby, and I was like, you literally just moved in with your dad. Like, how did this all happen? Right. And, like, this, oh my god. <laughs> I don't even know what else to say about this movie. You nailed it perfectly. So many undertones of sexism, mm-hmm. uh, racism, right. is, is, exoticism, fetishization yeah. of different cultures and getting yeah. it entirely wrong. Yeah. And pro, it's so once... Anti, anti-baby pro-life. Right. And also, like, once again, we knew what we were getting into. We're enjoying this for the silly ridiculous romps that it provides but also it's just so warped how successful this whole franchise became it's so silly like of all the movies i think this is the last like i will never revisit this one totally i i think i mean i already have rewatched new moon so that is already a thing that has happened but I, there's no reason to come back to Breaking Dawn. Like, I'm. Next week's will be a little better, right? <laughs> because I, there's more to. I do have to say, I think what this mo- what this movie does right though, is that you're immediately like, oh my god, well now I need to see the next movie. Yeah, that's true, and like, the next movie, I think the best way for me to quickly sum that one up is it's a. A movie of potential and a lot of failed opportunity. Totally. But um, all right. Well, now we rate on on a burger scale. Right. Do we want to rate the burger scale? Oh boy. Um, yeah. This is gonna be my five guys. This will be your five. Well, because I don't really like Five Guys as much as everybody else. Okay. Five Guys is not my favorite. Um. So th- this is my five guys. It's sad. It's wet. It's greasy. Um, but you'll eat it because it's there. That's how mm. I feel about Five Guys. I like their milkshakes, though. I'm gonna say this is my McDonald's. Ooh. This is my McDonald's burger Fair. because um, it is the appropriate amount of tastes all at <laughs> once that will get the job done. But I don't necessarily feel like it's satisfying, and there is a grossness there, like. I'm eating a McDonald's. Like, oh. Like, it's not the worst burger. And I've actually had some good burgers from McDonald's. I got the spicy chicken sandwich from McDonald's, and that was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still like, when you're eating a McDonald's burger, it is still like, um, you still have that pit in your stomach that goes, somehow this burger feels like it's slightly sexist and a little racist. Sure. That's like fair. it gets the job done but it doesn't feel necessarily great even though it's not the worst burger you've ever had it's not like applebee's or or white castle like the 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 aftermath problems aren't as bad mm-hmm. but it's still like um there you know like there's a moral dilemma when you eat a mcdonald's burger <laughs> true and, and that then- is why i rated mcdonald's burger nice and then um what do we rate uh dad on his dad skills as far as mustaches go full full five mustaches full five mustaches 
He is the best Charlie Swan. mustache. Yeah. We honor your your ability to dad in this movie. I loved him at the wedding and it was touching and it was emotional and you could tell the actor it was really just he just harnessed in on what it was to be that dad given the set of circumstances not being necessarily amazed but still loved his daughter and knew that the best thing was to just be a dad yeah totally good dad all right so yes last question of the podcast tom mm-hmm. what has yes. been your weekly obsession I've been writing in a journal. Yay! And I've been planning out December's photography challenge. I think I'm going to try and do it every day. I said last week I don't know if I should. But I think even if it's just a phone picture, like if I capture a picture on my phone and post it on Instagram, I think that's fine. But the real challenge is I want to take out my DSLR camera Mm -hmm. and really try to capture the emotions and feeling Mm -hmm. of what, like, loss feels like mm-hmm. in a photo and what better month to do that than December yeah <laughs> yeah it's the perfect month for yeah. it mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm excited and I've hit up Dave and I already told Dave um with with all things considered with COVID and whatnot safe and all mm-hmm. you know I'm getting tested weekly and I think Good. as a society if we all just got tested more frequently <laughs> we would probably be better off and I think there are people being healthy and responsible, but I think there's this weird like fear of the of getting tested. And it's like, just get tested. It's not a big deal. Yeah, yeah. And also, like, honestly, I mean, from someone who had been asymptomatic during this pandemic, um, testing saved multiple people's lives because I was able to like find out Prevent and then the keep people safe. Exactly. So like um, it's not that difficult guys it's not that difficult and like i know it's scary because you know it's asking you to stop your life but it's a lot better to do that for a couple of weeks rather than things changing people's lives permanently exactly yeah. and it's we are we are in a better place than we were in april mm-hmm. like we're unfortunately this numbers are getting back to april numbers but in terms of like hospital expectations and testing capabilities we're in a better place right this this wave doesn't have to be as bad if people just do the things right like i remember people like why aren't there more tests in april and it's like well there's plenty of tests now right just go get tested right exactly it's like okay you have the thing you know that masks work so wear a mask wearing a mask is probably what mostly helped me keep people safe so it's the most effective form of protection yeah but um, not to harp on that. But photo thing. And I watched um, Netflix has an original anime. I don't know if it's inspired by a manga, but it's called, um, what is it called? It's called Great Pretender. Uh-huh. And I actually really enjoy it. Good. I'm glad. It's, it sounded good. It's about, it's a Japanese con artist who gets conned by an American con artist who admires the Japanese con artist and drags him to LA to participate in this really big heist where they're trying to con a billionaire movie executive who makes all of his money from pushing drugs. I love a good heist. There should be a vampire heist movie. There should be. There should be vampire heists. Um, what's cool is that 
this anime, it's not, every episode is not a new heist. Like every, it is actually like they break it up in the parts. Like okay. the first season has, I think three heists in it. Oh good. And each heist is like five episodes long. Oh, okay. That's good. That, that's a good amount of pacing. Like the, I'm on the second heist and this one I like more than the first heist. It's, there is a, there's an, a, a battle, like a, what do they call it? Airplane racing, they call it like dog battle or something like that. Battle toads? No, not battle toads. No, no, okay. No, not battle toads. Oh my bad. Hello, hello, GameStop. Do you have battle toads? But <laughs> dog fighting, they call it dog fighting. So kind of like how Red Bull has those international like airplane dog fighting races. Oh, I didn't know they, about that. Yeah, yeah, it's a big thing, and um. The second heist is there is this dog fight race, well, uh, whatever, airplane race, whatever. I don't know what to call it. But in Singapore, there's this brother duo. And I don't, they don't explicitly say it, but they're hinting that these two are like from Saudi Arabia. Oh, really? <laughs> and, you know, they're, they're both princes that got like chastised from their country and made a fortune participating in running dog races like airplane races Mm -hmm. but it's all rigged like the younger brother always wins and the older brother runs the like race and runs the social media platform for it and the the plane and the races take place in singapore Mm -hmm. so like there's this beautifully well done animation all around singapore and you learn that the races are rigged and there was an Australian pilot who tried to break the rig because all of he, he donates all of his winnings to charity. And he tries to show. actually, it's, it's really fun. And mm-hmm. the Australian pilot tries to stop the rig and he like gets paralyzed. Like he gets his oh, wow. plane blows up. Oh, wow. So these con artists cool. devise a plan to break the rig and use all the money and give it to this guy who was paralyzed. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really, I really liked it. Like, I liked the first heist, but because Mm -hmm. by default, the first heist is also an introduction to all the characters. So there's parts that were a little more dragging and boring and I didn't like as much. So now that I'm on the second heist, Mm -hmm. I know who these characters are. And there's, I think, ultimately, because also the second heist takes place in Singapore and the first heist was L.A., I kind of just kind of hate L.A. I'm dying to go to Singapore. So, yeah, you'd really appreciate this. It's fun. I like it a lot. The three places I want to travel to once, like, the world is safe and the pandemic is over is Japan, South Korea, and Singapore. Because Singapore actually seems like an amazing time. It it is. And I would would love to go to Japan. That'd be yeah the food i don't know the, the, the sites i just want to i want to yeah. go to those three places i want to go back to asia really badly i would love to go to ireland yeah <laughs> <laughs> very different place but yes cool all right should we wrap it here oh i didn't give my obsession real quick i can oh yeah sorry no, go ahead. Okay. um i i can't stop after several months of it already being out i can't stop listening to taylor swift's folklore album I don't know how she has been able to record an entire feeling of being in the pandemic. It's bittersweet. It's nostalgic. And 
you know, she talks about having romances as a kid, but it feels a lot more nuanced now that she's approaching 31 rather than like when she was 15 and speaking on it as it was happening. Um, I don't know. It's just when I'm feeling kind of melancholy about the pandemic, Taylor Swift's album still somehow matches the feeling of being in the pandemic. So kudos to her to writing like an all Joni Mitchell-style album that just fits the entire mood of what everyone's dealing with. Nice. Yeah. All right, that's pretty cool. It's also like the most, like the kind of music that I listen to. So I'm glad she, she tried it. I have been really in an obsession with Typo Nick. <laughs> I'm glad that's still going on. Yeah, I'm happy with it, but... but yeah, now we can finish. All right. All right, guys, thank you so much. This is the second to last episode of the series. We're almost at Christmas. As a matter of fact, let me check the calendar. We might be at I Christmas make... at this point. We, we try to record a few episodes ahead of time just so we have like a little wiggle room. Oh, no, um, this, because, all right, so the second is going to be New Moon. Okay. Ninth is going to be Eclipse. The 16th will be part one, and this is perfectly timed because Breaking Dawn part two will be the 23rd. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas, uh, everybody. And happy holidays. Happy Twilight holidays. Happy Twilight Mistmas. Yes. Oh, my God. Uh, well, with that, guys, again, mm-hmm. please subscribe to the YouTube channel. It is new. It is fun. I like it. Move videos. It's inspiring. Like, now that we have it, mm-hmm. I want to make more videos. Like, because okay. you can see the production. You can see the relationship better on YouTube with videos than you could on Instagram. Fair. And I think just in general, like, YouTube is still a better place for posting videos. Like, we made the videos on Instagram just to connect more in a visual way and now we have the youtube so we can just do that with our videos yeah and like yeah but also don't forget to follow Mm -hmm. us on the instagram at the remember no remember the zero zero s podcast we're also on spotify boom google boom um apple did i say apple no you didn't amazon (laughs) jeff God damn it. Uh, <laughs> where most podcasts are found. Yeah. Podbean. Yep. I said it right this time. <laughs> uh, did I, pl- I plug everything? I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And just if you want to stay connected with us as we watch our series, watch Breaking Dawn 2. Watch Breaking Dawn Part 2. I promise you Electric it's better Boogaloo. than Breaking Dawn Part 1. Yep. Rami Malek was in it. I know, he's the Avatar. Yeah, he's the Avatar, the last vampire airbender. Yep. Bella, I hope you've got enough sleep these last 18 years, because you won't be getting any more for a while. (laughs) Well, Bella was just like everybody else, totally mesmerized by Edward. Or the hair, as I call him. Um... And then, suddenly, Edward is all about Bella. Even though she's not the captain of the volleyball team. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Or the president of the student council. Edward will be a good husband. I know this because cause I'm a cop. I know things. Like 
how to hunt somebody to the ends of the earth. Now that you're my sister, you'll have to get over your version of fashion. Yeah, I know how to use a gun. Skirts, heels, handbags. Go to sleep, my love. Go to sleep. When you wake, you'll see me. I'd like to thank Renee and Charlie for bringing such a wonderful person into the world and into our lives. We will cherish and protect her forever.